If you have a Bible handy, you'll want to be turning to Psalm 31. Psalm 31, and we'll begin there in just a moment. The lesson this afternoon sort of dovetails with our morning lesson, as we sometimes try to do, make sure they connect a little bit. We finished this morning by talking about what it is that we can do when we're confronted with information, whether it be the preacher saying something or whether it be something we read online. What is it that we should do? How should we handle that? We said, first of all, we need to examine if it's true or not. That's the first thing we need to do. You know, sometimes our kids are fussing or fighting and one comes up and they say, well, well, he said this about me or she said this about me. We say as parents, well, is it true? And if it's not true, maybe they need to be nicer. But if it's not true, don't worry about it. It's not anything for you to fret or fuss over if it's not truth, if it's not true. We need to do the same thing when it comes to not only what the preacher says, but what people are saying. Is it true? And then as we concluded with this morning, if it is, then we need to make changes or do something about it. If it doesn't apply to us, we can applaud in a way and say amen and then try to encourage others who may have that kind of issue or problem or we might need to make a change. So it's going to be helpful this afternoon as we consider the word truth. We have been in a study, of course, for several years now, just one word a month looking at words. The, this particular section is about his word, God's word. and We've talked about inspiration and covenant and now we're going to talk about truth. When we think about the word truth, the lesson begins with sort of an ominous warning. There's something called the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. I don't know that many of you don't have one of those on your shelf, you know, nearby. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. But here's what it says about truth. That there is no term more familiar and none more difficult of definition. That's kind of scary to begin a lesson on truth to say that, yes, we all know that word and understand it in a sense, but it's very hard to define it. As we usually do with these studies, we're going to take a look at the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament, and then sort of take a look at a few applications for us this afternoon. First of all, when we begin in the Old Testament, the word truth that's translated truth is emeth. And it has an apostrophe at the front end. You may have that in your bulletin there or then the blanks to go along with that word. But that word is used some 117 times. It is something that is true, that is right, that is trustworthy and faithful. It is usually used of God. His very nature is truth. That's what Psalm 31 and verse number 5 says. Into your hand I commit my spirit you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. We're going to come back to that idea in just a moment, but it's usually used of God to say that he is emeth, he is truth. And that is the word that you will find uh, throughout the Old Testament. And really the theme is because God is truth, in him we find consistency, we find confidence, we find security, and that is comforting to us. Again, the lesson this morning is kind of like we think about how much the world wavers on things. I, I began by giving you the illustrations and we said, how do we feel? It makes us feel kind of anxious when we realize that something that has been normal for years all of a sudden becomes controversial. Well, why is that? Because nothing is constant anymore when there is no truth, when there is no standard. And so when we think about God in the Old Testament in this word, it helps us to have confidence in security because God is emeth, he is truth. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is aletheia. Aletheia, that's translated and it means true or truly. 
It is used some 110 times in the New Testament. As with the Old Testament, truth in the New Testament points to the nature of God. There, there is no man that we can look at, no man, of course, unless we're sort of setting aside Jesus, the Son of God coming in the form of man, but there is no man. We can go back through great legends of history, great leaders, presidents, generals, uh, you know, great elders, great preachers. We could name lists uh, miles long, but no man is going to be able to live up to this in the same way, even great men. So it points to the nature of God, his consistency and response to the universe, of which he is the designer, he is the creator, and the sustainer, because God is truth. And again, we'll come back to that here in just a few moments. When we think about the broad and general nature of the word truth, and that goes back to the way the ISBE defined it as none more difficult of definition. It is easy to go beyond what the Hebrew and the Greek kind of means. In fact, <coughs> pardon me, our world recognizes various aspects. <coughs> Excuse me, I got some water here. Various aspects of truth. <coughs> Let me list a few of these on here. And I put a question mark. Is it types of truth? <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> when we think about types of truth, are there really different types of truth? What we're trying to notice through this lesson is if God is truth and he is the standard, then that's all we really have to rely upon. That's all we really need to pay attention to in a sense. Thank you, brother. And to think about is that, they, that God is truth. But there are these other things. Do you know what the word ontological means? Have you ever thought about that before? This is really where I was going to make mention of seeing whether or not you were still with me in the lesson. Me choking might help me also do that as well <coughs> along the way here. But this is where I was going to see if you were still with me. Here's what ontological truth deals with. And it kind of took me a minute to kind of wrap my mind around it as well. Ontolo ontological truth deals with the science of what is. All right, you got that? That's really deep there. What is? So here's the way I kind of found it used as an example. The surface of an apple cannot exist without the apple and so depends on it ontologically. All right, so are you confused now? You can't have the surface of the apple without the apple, so it depends on the apple to be the apple because it is an apple, I think, is what that's trying to say. And yes, there are people that probably gets, that get paid lots of money to kind of de debate these things and discuss it. But people will talk about ontological truth. We're familiar with logical truth, right? Our kids uh, have learned before about debate a little bit. Uh, even at Last Leaders now, that's a thing. Some of them have gone and watched some of the different type of debates that people have had using logic to try to debate truth. You're familiar with moral truth, are you not? We would agree that killing... A non-threatening person is wrong. If we're standing out in the parking lot and someone walks by and just shoots someone and kills them, non-threatening person, most everyone would agree that is wrong without even talking about the Bible or what God says necessarily. That's just a moral truth. And of course, then we begin to think about religious truth. So our world recognizes we might not say types of truth, but various aspects of truth, if you will. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker that we need to understand. Ultimately, all truth is religious, that last word, religious, because it comes from God. 
All truth is religious because it emanates from the person of God. Anything that is true is the domain of God. You may say, yeah, I got it. I understand. Okay, but we need to kind of carry that out a little further and understand how it impacts us in our life and in our dealings with other people. Yes, there is these other kinds or aspects of truth, but ultimately all truth is religious truth because it comes from God. Let's notice a couple things about the word truth as we think about the Bible. I already asked you to turn to Psalm 31, but let's go to Isaiah 65. The first thing we would notice when we talk about what is truth is that God is truth. We read, excuse me, we read Psalm 31 a moment ago. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. But in Isaiah chapter 65 in verse number 16, <clears throat> Isaiah 65, 16, the Bible says, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. It is true that God is simply truth, we might say. Somebody says, what is truth? Well, yes, God is truth. We think about Jesus' words in John 17 and verse number 17. Thy word is truth. We might separate those out and say God and his words. Somebody might say as well, something like Joel and then Joel's words. But yes, they're connected. If God is truth, his word coming from him is going to be truth. Not only that, though, to carry it a little further, we know that Jesus is truth, or as he says, Jesus is the truth. You remember well his words in John chapter 14. You recall that he's washed the disciples' feet. He is about to go to his death, not necessarily immediately, but the time is drawing very close. And he says that, that statement about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And old Thomas, he begins to get the name Doubting Thomas. Lord, how will we know? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The New Testament ascertain, or excuse me, asserts that God's salvation culminates in the Messiah. Jesus is the personification of truth, and that's just the way it is. How comforting to know that you can take him at his word. I mention this a lot sometimes, but, but we treat preachers that way sometimes. We treat preachers as people that we just should simply take them at their word, and hopefully that's true. I know speaking as a preacher, I, I want that to be the case, but I know I'm human and you know as well that all it takes is to turn on the news and you see lots of men who seem to be good men that people put their trust in who let them down. Why? They're human. They make mistakes and they, they let us down from time to time. So we don't lean upon men for the sake of what men can say, but upon the fact that God is truth and Jesus is the truth. But that's still, can we go a little bit further? What about when we ask what is truth, we could say... That the truth is a body of teaching, right? It, it goes beyond just the person of God, the personification of Jesus, but the truth is further defined as the body of God-given teaching that the disciple of Christ will learn and will follow. That's what the truth is, God-given. We don't want to go around this country 
We don't want to go down the street, even in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and begin asking people what is truth because you will get all kinds of answers. It doesn't come that way. It does not come, as my father-in-law is known for saying, by counting noses, right? It comes by God-given truth. And that is what it is. It's given by God, and then that is what the disciple of Christ will learn and will do his best or her best to follow. That is what we should think about when we think about truth. In fact, one other thing real quick. I don't know if you turn to John, but flip over to Romans chapter 1. Excuse me, Romans chapter 1. And let's make mention of something here. When we think about truth and the trouble it presents in the the world today, don't forget Romans chapter 1, really beginning about verse 18, but going through verse 25, certainly, and in the end of the chapter. If you know this chapter, you're familiar with it, you know that this is the place that we'll sometimes turn to when we talk in our world about homosexuality and the things of that kind of nature, and we're having that kind of discussion. What does it say in Romans chapter 1 and and verse number 25? That people who are on the opposite side... Actually, it says in verse 22, who are professing to be wise, who are having these issues and this sin in their life, verse 25, who exchanged the truth, the truth of God. All that is pertinent to what we've said. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's one of those cases in which we could kind of sum up a lot of our troubles today, right there. That people exchange the truth, the truth of God, for a lie, and they want to serve the creature rather than the creator. That's where we we go afoul. That's where we go wrong. We stop worrying about what God has said and whether or not something is true when we examine it and we start counting noses. Or we start worrying about who's shouting the loudest, even as we kind of mentioned this morning, and those kinds of things. What is the truth? Well, it is the body of teaching, God-given teaching, that we need to be concerned with, and we need to spend our life striving to learn and to follow. Let's notice a few characteristics of truth here, and I want to give you some... uh, I found an article that kind of discussed it a little further. There's not so much uh, verses to use right here, but we're going to come back to that here in just a moment after we go through these uh, characteristics, if you will. Truth has several important properties that we rely upon when we're trying to reason. Go back to that idea of logic. It's why the lesson this morning kind of leaves us scratching our heads. Uh, the joke or the illustration, right, was since when has standing at a wedding become controversial? Well, when we don't reason properly and we don't use these kind of characteristics or traits, these properties, then we are left really scratching our head and wondering where do we go from here? What do we do with truth and what's right and wrong? The first thing we would notice is that truth is consistent. And that is that multiple truths cannot contradict or conflict with one another. Some of this is going to seem very obvious, but it helps us to make the statement A corollary to this is that truth is exclusive, meaning that if something is true, everything that conflicts with that must be false. By the way, this is along the lines of the argument we make about marriage, is it not? When God made male and female and put them together in marriage, that truth being consistent and exclusive excludes some other things. I don't really feel like I need to get up here at least once a year or often and talk about the fact that that males are not supposed to marry cows, 
right? Or some kind of other animal. And that's kind of facetious, but we don't have to talk about those things or make those exceptions because God has given us a truth that is consistent and exclusive. This may seem obvious, but so many people directly contradict this today. Here's the phrase you hear. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. I couldn't help but think about the fact that it was just a few years ago now that I stood here in this pulpit for the first time. And when I preached the sermon that I guess you'd call a tryout sermon, that's what I I went to. It was one that I had done recently, not long before that, and I really appreciated it. It stuck with me because of the idea of something so simple, yet seems to be such a problem today. What's right for you can't just be right for you and not for me and not for Charles or, or anyone else because it's got to be what God says. The lesson that day was from Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. It was entitled, or kind of the theme was, Seek the Old Paths. Seek the Old Paths. As our country and our culture has changed, we've gotten further away from those old paths. Do you remember what Jeremiah says there? Where the good way is. Where good things are. Where reason and truth are found. Where things make sense. Because it's true. And it simply is because God has said it that way. Some people also say that Christianity is just one path to God, suggesting that there are multiple ways to get there. And so these are just a few of the things that make us really scratch our head and and frustrate us when we think about this idea of truth. All right, next, truth is universal or objective. Universal or objective. Truth is true for everyone everywhere and the article I found says every when I don't know if that's the right way to say that right but it makes sense for a preacher's outline everyone everywhere and every when in every situation we can think of the the illustration that we often use is that two plus two is four and we don't argue about that and yet we do scratch our heads when we get into other things that frustrate us that seem as simple as two plus two is four. Truth is universal and it is objective and that should give us confidence. And then finally here under this point, truth is consistent as we said in the first point, but it's also constructive. Constructive. Given two or more truths, it is possible then to derive other truths. Now, this is something that we make use of every day, and in our math classes, or our geometry, probably, geometry may be a better way to say it, geometry classes, we say things like A is equal to B, B is equal to C, so then A must be equal to C. We call it the transitive property. We teach our kids that. We can derive other truths from one truth, and it allows us to extend our chain of reasoning. And it allows us to arrive at truths that may not be immediately obvious. Now, I told you, we went through all that. We really mentioned no verses because that's kind of logical. That's kind of just a basic discussion. But let's think about this as well, though. All of these things are true of God's Word. Everything we just said is true of God's Word. It may make sense in a debate class. And you may be able to talk to someone that way, but it's true of God's word as well. God's word is consistent, right? It does not contradict itself, according to our first point. It's consistent. Number two, it's universal, as we said just a moment ago. Because Jude says in Jude verse 3, that the faith which was once revealed for the saints for all time. 
God doesn't have to keep coming back and updating things. Oops, I think I made a mistake. I'll fix this. Nope. Once revealed for all time. And we are thankful for that. And even Jesus uses this kind of discussion in his arguments. If you have your Bible, let's look in Matthew chapter 22 and notice the way Jesus discusses this. And then the lesson will be yours here this afternoon. Matthew chapter 22 it is a whole section from verses 23 to 33 of Matthew 22. But as you're turning there, notice specifically verse number 32. Jesus used this kind of logical argumentation sometimes. Here he's debating the Sadducees about the resurrection of the dead. And he says in verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the idea of touching the resurrection of the dead, back even, excuse me, back up in verse 31, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So here's Jesus' argument as you look at those two verses. Number one, God refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the present tense. He is stating that he is their God. Number two, he says, God is not the God of the dead, and so this present tense must refer to living people. So therefore, number three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead, so there must be a resurrection. That's the way he's laying this out, the idea of the transitive property and all. God is uh, the God of, not the God of the dead, and he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so then they must not be dead in the sense that there is a resurrection. Jesus shows us here that we can take the Bible as hard fact, that it is something upon which we can base our thinking upon his word. You know, the Bible has quite a lot to say about the subject of truth, especially to how we can know that things are true. The entirety of God's word is truth. Psalm 119 and verse 160 you got to be careful when you're referring to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 160. Because truth is both absolute and immutable, immutable. And that is what we can take comfort in when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God's the one source. The one source. It gives us all that we need to know when it comes to life and godliness. It, it gives us all we need to know when it comes to our finances, our relationships. Because God's Word is truth. And I hope that when you go forward from today, you've heard that said before. I've probably said it before many times from this pulpit. But it helps every once in a while for us to focus in on that, even as the world around us seems to be spinning. And we might even say, <clears throat> spinning out of control. Because there's so many people going so many different directions. Let us come back to God and understand what is truth. Did you, do you remember that Pilate even asked that question in John chapter 18? Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate cynically dismisses this kind of view. He says, what is truth? People have been searching for it for a long time. If you want to talk to someone about God, about becoming a Christian, sometimes that's a good place to start. You never know when you meet someone who you have as a coworker or a friend, and you think they have no interest, maybe, in God. They never talk about going to church or things like that. 
Just wait till one of these arguments comes around, right? Whatever it might be about marriage or homosexuality or some of these other things, one time when that's said in a, a political debate or on the news or something like that, and you never know, they might be scratching their heads and you may be able to speak up and say something in the appropriate way about truth, understanding truth and where, where truth comes from. In the 2003 film Luther, about the religious reformer <clears throat> Martin Luther, do you remember that he was called before a group of people, a group of Catholic officials, and they ordered him to renounce his writings, to renounce his beliefs, and he refuses to deny what he believes to be true. And in that moment, he is recorded as saying, Here I stand, I can do no other. It's simply what we have to stand on in one sense and stand for is the truth. As we conclude this lesson this afternoon, it may be that you have struggled with truth or that you've struggled with the truth of God's word, especially as it pertains to salvation. We'll pause now at the end of our lesson here and our time in our service to extend heaven's invitation. You can know truth and you can be obedient to the truth of God as we read about on the pages of his word. If you're here this afternoon and you've never done that, we'll sing to encourage you that you would obey the truth. That's some, something, one way in which we sometimes say that. Or maybe you've done that, but you still struggle. Look, I know when we talk about social media and technology, there's a lot of things that are pulling at us. You have a lot of people on social media who claim to be doctors or scholars or all these things that will tell you all kinds of stuff. Not just medically, but uh, philosophically, psychologically, all these things. They'll try to draw you away. Simply come back to God and His truth. And if you've wandered away in some sort of way in which you have sin in your life that you'd like to be forgiven of, we would even assist you in that way. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.